I got to tell you, um, what God is doing in Mexico is amazing, and uh, I wanted to just share with you. You know, we have, there's two aspects to what we're doing there. You hear a lot about this thing called a care point, and a care point is where people, a lot of children especially, go and get their needs met, and um, they're fed there, and, need, you know, I, I think they even do some, like, medical services. They just do a bunch of stuff, and we're a part of that, and those of you who sponsor children are a part of that. But then the other aspect of that is that we, we started a church in Aguas Calientes that is, that, so the, these two aspects are working hand-in-hand hand to meet real physical needs of people who definitely are poor, and they definitely, they have needs that just have to be met. But then... With that, there's the spiritual aspect where lives are changing. And so the stories you're hearing, you're hearing about these care points where these needs are being met. But then with that are all of these spiritual needs and bondages that are broken. And it's just an amazing thing that we get to be a part of. And so we go to Agos Calientes two times a year right now as a group. And, you know, we went in March. Our next one's in October. If you are interested in being a part of that trip, I want you to know today at 4 p.m. there's a meeting um, I don't know actually where, it, I think it might be back here, but you come, you'll figure it out. And, um, but with that, if you can't make it for whatever reason, that's okay. On that connection card is a place where you can mark that and, and just uh, say that you want some information. And uh, Mauricio and Jennifer will send you some information about that and, and it'll be all taken care of. So I want to make sure you know that there's some good stuff going on and you can be a part of it. Um, it's good. So anyway, also another Sidebar. I'm like the king of sidebars, and I'm so sorry that you have to deal with this. But I want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, Pastor Jim mentioned last week at the end of the service that uh, we were in the midst of moving. We had been living in an apartment since we'd been here, and we're trying to find a house. And as you know, man, Orlando is like growing like crazy. So hard to find a place, and so it took forever. We found a place that fit us, but it needed a lot of work before we could move in. And so I told my girls, all right, April's going to be the month of sprint. We won't see each other. We won't talk to each other. But boy, are we going to get a lot of painting done, you know. And, um, and we didn't see each other much, and we didn't talk as much as we should have. And then this past week, it was like night after night, we're looking at the deadline going, we're not going to finish. We're not going to finish. And all of a sudden, four of you would show up to paint. And then the next night, five of you showed up to paint. And then all of a sudden, people started bringing us meals so that we could paint. <laughs> and, um, and then yesterday, I can't even tell how many people just showed up to help us move. I have never felt more love, so thank you, because it meant the world to us. Yeah. You're, you're clapping for all the people who showed love, because, you know, when you talk about this thing staying in love, you know, falling in love is easy. It is. Um, it happens spontaneously. Uh, you know, we can meet somebody and go, I think, you know, love at first sight has happened to me and all this. But staying in love is work. Staying in love is hard. And you guys have shown us through your efforts uh, what real love looks like. And so I'm, I'm very, very grateful. And so as we finish this series, I thought it was just like, what a perfect way to end a series about staying in love with you being the example to me in this kind of me message. So thank you. You know, I think in week one, we learned that love is a verb, that love is an action. It's not a feeling. And then in week two, uh, Pastor William talked to us about um, 
how Jesus showed us love as a verb, and that when we submit to each other, when we submit to the other's needs, submit to what, what is best for the other person, that the relationship is, is grown into this beautiful thing. And it was, it was because of what Jesus did on the cross and what he did for us that shows us what this submission looks like, even to the, the highest levels. And then last week, we, we talked about what it looked like to guard our heart, that everything flows out of the heart. The heart is who we are. It's what we really believe, not what we think we believe, not what we want to believe, but what we really believe. That's what's in the heart. And so we have to be intentional about growing our hearts into the likeness of Jesus because what's in us is often so broken, and then we just, we, we, we act out and we ha- you know, our, our emotions follow and the actions follow about what's going on in our heart and it's often so broken. So today, we're going to talk about a fundamental choice that can powerfully impact our relationship. I think today is kind of like the perfect bow to put on the end of this message. And so I thought that um, today we would start by reading the scripture because this passage of scripture can not only help good relationships become better, but it can also help relationships that aren't quite what they, are, what they used to be, you know? It can help those kind of relationships get restored. So let's look at this verse together. It says, and you know this one, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, and it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, what I thought, you know, you could do a whole message on each one of these. So we're going to go for about three hours. You should be fine. Um, We'll be done before that four o'clock meeting tonight. See, I say that, and then if I go a little long, I feel better, because you were like, ah, he's a jerk. Um, (laughs) I know this is a familiar passage. Everybody in here, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this passage. I mean, it, most of us, though, we think it's like this, this poem that is standalone all by itself. You know, that, that there's this cool poem that's in the Bible, if you even knew it was in the Bible. And you're like, but oh, it's so beautiful. I want that in my wedding. But see, r- the reality of this passage is that it's more like one movement in a huge symphony that started in chapter 12. And, and what's funny is that, that this discussion about love starts with a discussion about spiritual gifts and how we work together as a united, diverse group of followers of Jesus. That, that, that this, this statement, it, it's part of that big picture. What's interesting is that this passage was, was not originally about romantic love, even though it's an all the weddings, and you hear it all the time about marriage and stuff. It, it's, it wasn't about romantic love at all. It was about love within a family, love within a church family, a body of believers. And for them, Jewish and Gentile who are having a hard time getting along. And, and so Paul comes in with this passage about what does love look like? What does it look like to make love a verb? Because love is an investment into a relationship. It's not what you get from a relationship. See, it's, it's not, love is not a need that other people have to fulfill in you. No, it's a journey together that recognizes all along that only God can meet the needs. That's what love is about. So as we finish this series today, I want to look back at the question that started it all 
three weeks ago. Is it possible for people to stay happy together forever? See, we're going to look at this passage, through this, this question through the lens of 1 Corinthians. Is it possible to sustain healthy relationships throughout your entire life? Because so many of us say, yeah, it's possible. Probably not for me. It's probably not probable, but it's possible. You know, some of us in here have changed jobs because of broken relationships. Many of us have changed churches because of broken relationships. We've grown apart from our best friends. Maybe we've moved away from our parents. Maybe we've changed spouses. See, we want relationships to last. We do. Everybody wants long-term relationships. But all too often, it's hard. And as we leave one relationship and go to another, the same problems keep resurfacing over and over. And we said it over and over because we are like donuts, like jelly donuts. When we get squeezed, what's on the inside squirts out. So today, let's describe what lasting love looks like or at least what it's supposed to look like. So we're going to begin, you know, in verse 4, and we're going to look at a couple of things because the Apostle Paul, he uses a variety of action words that we, we look at, but we skip over because there's so many of these words, and so it's easy just to jump on to the next one. And so you, you, you look at them and you go, okay, thanks, Paul. Love, love is patient. Good. Love is patient. All right. I think I got that. God, give me patience. I'd really appreciate it sooner than later. Let's do this thing. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Check. Thanks, Paul. Good, good. I'm ready. Patience. Now, next, love is kind, right? Now, I mean, no one would ever argue that love is mean. Okay, we know that. So, of course. Check. Love does not envy. Hmm. That does make sense. I don't want what you have, but I'm supposed to give you what I have. Don't really like that because I like what I have. I will let you borrow what I have, but I always get upset when you don't give it back the way I expected it. But, okay, envy. Got it. Love does not boast. Well, that too makes sense. I mean, I don't want I, I to boast. Who likes boasting until Ray Lynn does something wrong and I can tell her I told you so. I, I'm, I guess that's a little bit boasting. So, God, I need to work on that. Thanks, thanks, Paul. Check. Got it. Love is not proud. Okay. Humility's good. Got it. Humility's good. Okay. Proud. Well, again, I mean, it's not proud until I'm proven right. <laughs> I mean, when I'm proven right, I do want to be a little bit proud, but I get what you're saying, Paul. I need to work on this. Thank you. Okay. And then love does not dishonor others. This is a good idea. I don't want to dishonor people. See, I want people at church to feel like I respect them. I want my kids to feel like I respect them, coworkers. Okay, I will respect people as long as they respect me, <laughs> because that's important. They need to respect me before I respect them, right? Is that, no, that's probably not what this means. Okay, got to work on this one too, Paul. Thank you. Um, love is not self-seeking. I hate that one. Um, let's just skip. Um, love is not easily angered. Uh, yeah. I hate this one, too, um, because we all got some kind of anger issues, right? Going to have to work on this one, too. Thank you, Paul. We love you, Paul. Appreciate the advice. But then you get to verse 5. Or the end of, yeah, then you get to the end of verse 5. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Don't raise your hand, please. <laughs> and don't nudge your partner, please. 
But some of us are really good at this. How many of you are really good at the no records of wrong thing? I mean, maybe you got it from your mom or dad. Maybe, maybe you had a mom who could instantly remember five years ago on May 6th, 6.27 p.m. at the dinner table, exactly what your dad did, right or wrong. Wrong usually, right? I mean, you're like, wow, mom, you should teach history. I mean, nobody has a memory like that. You are amazing. Love keeps no records of wrongs. I have a feeling we all need to work on that one. And then love does not delight in evil, rejoices in the truth. Okay, so love celebrates the wins. It doesn't dwell on the failures. Love, love is not about the I told you so's as much as the I'm proud of you's. So I need to work on that one too. All right, thank you, Paul. You know, and so we read these verses and we can be like, you know, boy, Paul, thank you. Good reminders. I mean, this is good, good, good verses, good poetry, Paul. I should probably frame this and put it on my wall or maybe I'll use it in my wedding. You know, we'll just, we'll say these words and because we know these are, these are good things and they're things that we need to work on. But then you, you do, you get to verse 7. And, and, and it's, it says the weirdest thing because it says love always hopes or always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Some of you who memorize this passage or maybe you use it in your wedding, it, it said something like love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, in the original translation, Paul, Paul was using these, these four phrases, two-word phrases as kind of word pictures that are hard to translate. They really are. The NIV says it always protects. And that's good. We all agree with this, that love protects other people. Love has their back. We stick together. And I like that. I also like the last one. Love always perseveres. That's a good one because, you know, when we love, when we show love, and again, this isn't just romantic love. This is love with a friend or uh, love with our children or love with a coworker. I mean, the people in our lives, when we, when we show love, we're, we're almost like a band of brothers. We stick together. We when things look bleak, we're there for each other. We forgive those who sin against us. We labor towards unity in the church. We, we fight for our marriages. Love perseveres with the tenacity of a bulldog, you know? I mean, that's love perseveres. But then you get to that second phrase, and it kind of makes you wonder. Love always trusts? I mean, always Seriously? I mean, I remember reading this one day going, Paul, is that even good advice? Love, tr- love always trusts? What about that, those times when, when he hasn't been completely honest? What, what about those times when she says she'll be there, but she keeps letting me down? What about those times? How, how am I supposed to, to always trust? I mean, isn't that like being in a relationship that trusts blindly? Isn't that what codependent people do? I mean, is, is that even healthy? So what, what is the Apostle Paul trying to do here? What's he trying to say? What does this mean? I think, I think that's a great question because all four of these two-word phrases are used together to describe an essential idea for a healthy relationship. I want to talk about that idea today. I want to spend our time on that idea today because I think it has the power 
to change our relationships. Because you see, in every relationship, everyone, boss, employee, coworker, somebody at church, a close friend, a neighbor, family member, your kids, your spouse, in every relationship, there is a gap between what you expect and what you experience. What you expect and what you experience are always going to be different. They always are in every relationship. And at work, you know, you, you expect to feel valued. But then you're not considered for the promotion. So your, your expectation, wanting to be valued, and your experience, there's a huge gap. At church, you expect to feel loved, but then you get sick and nobody comes and visits you. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My expectation is here, feel loved, but my experience is I don't feel loved. I feel ignored or I feel abandoned. Or, or maybe it's a friend who chooses not to invite you to go golfing with the buddies and you feel like the odd man out. Or, or you're, a, you're a woman and you're not invited to ladies' night out with, with these other ladies and you're wondering, how could my best friend not invite me? Or maybe your spouse promises to pick up the kids every Wednesday, but then you're the one who has to keep picking them up on Wednesday. See, in that gap between expectation and experience, we all fill in the gap. We all make a choice. In that moment when the expectation's not met, we choose the story to believe about why they let us down. I really think that that story is what Paul is referring to here, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because when we tell ourselves a story about the gap, whether it's true or not, it still becomes reality to us. And I know I sound like a psychologist, and I'm not trying to, and trust me, I'm not one, so bear with me here. Um, you didn't get invited to the girls' night out. What's the story? Maybe you tell yourself, maybe, maybe they don't like me as much as they used to. Or, or, or maybe, maybe my friend has found other people they would rather be, be with more. See, that could be one, that could be a story. Or, or, or maybe it's better. Maybe it's, my friend was trying to build a relationship with somebody at work, and so she invited that person out and her friends out so that they could build a relationship. Well, that's a better story. Or, or, or maybe the, the event was even organized by somebody who didn't know me. And so, of course, I wasn't invited because the organizer didn't know who I was. So when there's a gap, we, we, make up, we have a story and we believe that story. And it shapes the way we feel and it shapes the way we talk and it shapes the way we behave. So where does this story come from? Why do we tell ourselves these stories? That's what we talked about last week. They come from our heart. They come from the inside. And unfortunately, we all have a little bit of a broken heart. Some people are broken more than others. But this, there's this brokenness in all of our hearts. And the stories that we tell ourselves usually come from this brokenness rather than truth. And there's the key, rather than truth. So when you get the text that he's going to be late, what story do you tell yourself? What story are you telling yourself? When they don't come and visit, what story do you believe? Do you believe the best or do you believe the worst? Now, one time, Allie, my 16-year-old, uh, we were driving in a car together, and it was when we first moved to Orlando. And I will tell you, Orlando drivers were crazy. We're crazy. <laughs> 
And so I'm like going five over the speed limit. Officers in here, I'm sorry. You know, uh, I'm just kidding um, because you're going 15 over all the time. Um, <laughs> but just laying. I'm going five over the speed limit and I'm not kidding. I don't know this. I, I, I don't even know who it was because the car went by me so fast that I call it, I call it a punk kid. Um, he zips by me and cuts me off as he passes me in my lane so that he could get around the car that was just in front of me to my left. And, you know, I, I do. I start blessing the punk kid with all of these blessings, holy blessings. May God bless you, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I was, it was one of those moments where I was ridiculously angry for a little thing. And so what, what does Allie tell me? She goes, Dad, you never know. Maybe they're rushing their daughter to the emergency room. You know what I say to myself? Dumb kid. <laughs> I'm like, <sighs> my story, punk kid who doesn't care about anything and he just wants to get in front of me. Her story, dad, it could be somebody going to the emergency room with their child in the car. She, she could be right. I have no idea what the story was. I just know the story I created and her story was so much better than mine. And I, I realize a lot of you in this room could say, Don, you say, have a better story, but you don't know my story. You don't know what's gone on in my life. You don't know what I have to deal with on a daily basis. My, my husband constantly lets me down. My, I can never please my wife. My church is notorious for saying one thing and doing another. I pray that you're visiting if you're saying that. But, um, I mean, my boss seems to enjoy demoralizing me. The reason I assume the worst, you might say, is because I usually get the worst, and I get it. I get it. I want you to know, as a pastor, I hear stories of heartbreak all the time. There is so much brokenness in the people, everybody. And as I hear it, I get it. I hope I'm not too naive because I know that, that assuming the worst is a justifiable story for you. I know. You have expectations that have continually gone unmet. I know. I know. You can't even imagine believing the best story. But when our go-to stories are the damaging stories, this I also know. The relationship continues to spiral downward towards the collapse. I wish it wasn't true. I wish it wasn't true, but what's communicated when we always think of the bad stories is that you will never measure up. You can never make me happy. You could never become the person I expect you to be. And when most of us feel like we can't measure up, we stop trying. And that's sad. And that is destructive for a relationship. See, when we offer people the benefit of the doubt, it's amazing how often they try to step up. They try to, to want to have trust. They want to bless. They want to please. They want to, to meet the expectations. So my question first is, if you're, if you're in this room and you're married, does your spouse believe in their heart that they can measure up in your eyes? Do they believe it? If you're a, a, maybe an employee, an employer, a business owner, do your employees believe they can succeed in your eyes? Do your kids, do your kids know that you're proud of them? Do they know that you have their backs no matter what? Because it all begins with the story that we tell ourselves about the gaps. And there, those gaps are in every single relationship. The best relationships, I believe, they, they, 
they come up with a story. They explain the gaps in the most generous way possible. They give the benefit of the doubt. Now, please hear me. Let me hit another sidebar. Stop right here. If there is a suspected, if there is in your, in your marriage a suspected affair, if there's abuse in your relationship, if your boss is telling you to do something that is immoral, or if you have a pastor in your world who is, who is trying to manipulate you in unhealthy, ungodly ways, see, in those situations, you need to get help. That's not what I'm talking about here. In those situations, you need to have hard conversations with, with people who can have hard conversations with you, know, with you. You usually can't do those by yourself. So please, don't, don't make the mistake that what I'm sharing right now is an excuse for you to continue being abused. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is what I think Paul is talking about. It's instruction to, pe to people who want healthy relationships. He's saying to protect the relationship. He's saying... Tell good stories that when, when people don't meet your expectations. He's saying, give the benefit of the doubt. Choose the relationship over what is right. See, Ray Lynn and I, we were watching a television show a while back, and there was this moment where th there was this older woman and this older man who were just becoming friends, and they were starting to share their story. And both of them were dealing with the tension uh, of them and their grown children because of the decisions that they believed their grown children were making, which were the parents hated, you know? And so the woman shared about how her daughter had started dating this guy and she thought he was terrible for her daughter. She hated this guy and the mom continually told the daughter how bad her choice was that she chose this boy. And then of course, the, the boy gets his, the daughter pregnant. She is upset. So the mom, she continually reminds the daughter that she had predicted this. You know, I told you so. I told you this was going to happen. I told you if you keep hanging out with that guy, you were going to end up in this exact place. As the woman was sharing with the older gentleman, you know, just as they were getting to know each other about what happened, he said, see, you were right. Your daughter should have just listened to you. Everything would have been okay. But then the woman said something I will never forget because she explained that this, this moment that she was talking about had happened five years earlier. And, and five years ago, her daughter had moved out and her daughter had the baby. And she said in those five years, she's never seen her granddaughter. She'd never seen her. And the man, he sat there speechless. And, and, and the woman, she continued and said these words. She said, sometimes, what, well, she said, what I learned is you can be right or you can have the relationship, but often you can't have both. Sometimes, often, one thing, being right, comes at the expense of the other, the relationship. Or having the relationship comes at the expense of being right. And you have to choose in every relationship which one is more important, being right or having the relationship. Great advice. Great advice. See, when the other person doesn't meet the expectation, there's that gap. And you can point to the problem. You can point to the weaknesses. You can boast that you were right. See if you would have just listened to me. Or you can choose to emphasize the relationship. You can choose to offer the benefit of the doubt. See, it's all about how you fill the gap. The story that immediately comes to your mind when you sense the gap is not always, often is not, the best story. And you have to choose to believe a better story. It, it has to be intentional. See, it's the, the story that you tell yourself and that you, you believe 
is, can be affected by you. It can be affected by your, by your choices. So what's your instinctive story? When something bad in a relationship happens between the expectation and what you experience, what is your initial story? Is it critical? Or do you give the benefit of the doubt? Because here's the good news. I know. It's like, thank you, Lord, that we're not praying now and going home. There's good news to all of this. The story that you tell yourself can be changed. It can be changed. How? This is where it gets good. By continually saturating your mind with the truth. Amen. Now, having explained all of that, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. Because think about it. This wisdom that Paul shares is too thousand years old. This wisdom has been vetted out and, and worked. I mean, people have been applying this wisdom for 2,000 years, and it's still just as powerful, maybe even more powerful than it was back then. Saturate your mind with this truth right here, because this might be the key to broken relationships in your life. This might repair a friendship. This might heal a relationship in a church. This might restore the relationship that you have with your child. It could rekindle a cold marriage. Look at the verse through the lens that we just shared. It always protects. Love doesn't just protect people. Love protects the integrity of the relationship. It protects the health of the relationship. It's submitting to what is, to, to what's, let me say, did I say that right? Yes. <laughs> it's submitting to what's best, not dealing with what's good. Yeah, you might be right. But no, you're going to submit to what's best. It's willing to give up the right to be right. It's willing to, to challenge a damage-causing story so that when it comes to your mind, you say, no, that's not the story I choose to believe. I'm going I'm to choose to believe the benefit of the doubt story. Love always protects. And what else? It always trusts. It trusts that when they don't, they don't meet the expectation. When, when there's the gap, they weren't trying to hurt me. They were trying to do right. See, it looks for the positive side of the story. It always trusts that God is working in the gaps. The gap between what I expect and what I experience, that gap, it trusts that God has it under control. He has it under control. He's working in the gap. That no matter how bad the relationship might get, God alone He's enough. He can fill me. You know, because relationships that people have, maybe one person desires a really healthy relationship and the other doesn't, and so there's this constant struggle. You know, the beauty is God alone fills the heart. God alone is enough. It's okay. It's, love always trusts that God can even use a bad relationship to bring beauty. Amen. He really can. There is always hope, which is the next one, that love always hopes because love trusts that God is in control. And God has the power to transform a bad relationship. He does. God has the power to create beauty from the gaps. He does. It's a specialty. It's what he did on the cross. It is. God took the worst thing that could ever happen, the death of his son, and he created the, the most beautiful thing that could ever happen, forgiveness of sin, the ability for us to know the one who created us, 
hope that this is not the end. See, love always hopes because love's hope is in God. He has the power to transform unhealth into health. He is the one who has the power to change a damaging story to a benefit of the doubt story. We struggle. Some of us struggle deeply with the critical story. God has the power to change the story. He's the one who can repair your broken heart. We can try to develop healthy relationships in our own strength. We can try. But most of us, the reality is we're just too broken. I am. And God knows this. And he's done something about it. God has done something about our brokenness. That's why Jesus came and died. See, God desires to work in every one of us. He does. He wants to work even in the gaps to bring life to our lives. He wants to bring life to our relationships. I don't know if you know this, but the the gospel of John tells us that Jesus created us, I mean, we were created for life. Jesus wants to infuse life into us. And through Jesus and his death on the cross, he offers life to us. See, Jesus showed us what it looked like to make love a verb. We get to do that only because he did. He makes it possible for us to love each other as a verb. So, a couple action steps for today. Because I always want us to leave with a take-home. First, if you have not chosen to follow Jesus, I want to encourage you to give that consideration. Because there is a God who loves you, who created you, who wants to infuse life into you. He wants to, the brokenness that everybody in this room, we know exists. We know the world is a broken place and we know that we are broken people. He wants to come into that brokenness and create something so amazing and so beautiful. And what's, what's, what's so cool about God is that he has done everything necessary to make that a reality. If, you, if you'd like to talk about what that means, I want to encourage you a couple of things. Because uh, on the connection card, there's a box that says, I'm interested in finding out more about what it means to follow Christ. I would encourage you to check that um, and turn it in. I will call you this week. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to talk to somebody today. We have people who pray uh, for you. I mean, people who are available to pray with you up here at the end of every service. You could go talk to them. But see, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. You can have a relationship with Jesus today. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I have to. I have to. I know. Because I know that where people are, and I know that people are struggling. If you want to choose to follow Jesus, it's not a prayer. It's not something that you just say and it magically happens. It's not some hoops you have to jump through by no means. Jesus jumped through all the hoops. He did everything necessary. But if you want to follow Jesus, it's it's a decision. It's, It's like everything in life. It's a decision. Jesus... I am choosing to follow you. Jesus, I know I'm broken and and there's nothing I can do about it. I choose to give my life to you, following you. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) I don't know what that's going to look like, but I want to follow you and I need your help. That, it's that decision. And you can do that today. You can do that before you leave and God will change everything. Sadly for us, sometimes it feels this way, it's a slow change but it is a beautiful change. And you can do that today. I have two other action points, but I wanna, I wanna pray. Um, if, 
Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? If, if you are here today and you are just sensing, today is the day I need to choose to follow Jesus, would you do that today? Would you say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for dying for my brokenness. Today, today, I choose to follow you. Help me walk with you. Help me walk in faith. I need you. In your name I pray. Amen.